The following episode of Days of Thunder is brought to you as part of the Pro Wrestling Only Podcast Network. Go to ProWrestlingOnly.com to enjoy other fine podcasts, as well as match reviews, book reviews, video game reviews, and of course our forums. Let's start the show. Hello everybody and welcome back to our second ever episode of Days of Thunder, Pick Your Poison, our once in a while detour off Thunder Road to discuss at length the career of one particular member of the WCW Thunder roster. Of course, I cannot do this alone. I'm joined by my faithful co-host, Stagger Lee Malone. Lee, how does this evening find you? Our first post-Christmas recording. I'm tired. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so, so tired. But we're talking about... One of my favourite wrestlers ever. So yeah. I'm a bit re-energised by that, but we'll see how long I last. Indeed. Uh, how, how are you? I, I'm pretty good. Uh, I had a good Christmas. I got, as I had shared with you and the guests I'm about to introduce on the line, I got myself uh, the gift of, well, I didn't get it for myself, but I received the gift you, of you a, got it for yourself. a Days of Thunder branded chalice or a beer stein, whatever way you want to look at a it. Chalice. Um, that's how I'm going to call it. I'm going to call it the Thunder Chalice is how I'm going to call King, it. King Booker over here. Damn straight, King Booker. Um, we are here, as you kind of alluded to, Lee, to talk about one of our favourite wrestlers of all time. A man who at various times has been described by us and by others as the saviour of WCW Thunder, a paragon of virtue, the Ayatollah of rock and roll, a Y2J, the Alpha, Le Champion. <laughs> yes, Horace Hogan. Uh, no, Chris Jericho is who we're here to discuss ahead of his appearance at the Tokyo Dome, uh, which should be around the time that we plan to drop this podcast. And if we're talking Chris Jericho and we're talking in advance of the Tokyo Dome, there's only two men that I would call uh, on for such a a lofty purpose. And those men are Mm -hmm. Jeff and Chris from the Strong Style Story podcast. I'll go to you, Jeff, first. Jeff, how are you? How were the holidays for you? Oh, the holidays were uh, just peachy. I got to uh, lounge around and do nothing but watch a bunch of football on Boxing Day, so that that was good. And uh, I actually managed to marathon all eight of these matches that we're going to be discussing (laughs) on Christmas Day, so... Good times. What better way to spend Christmas Day than enjoying some fine Chris Jericho matches? Well, the the best part was my partner actually joined me for at least one of them, so hey, you know... (laughs) That's yeah. To be fair, I I usually don't subject my partner to wrestling anymore. She was actually used to be into it in the, in the Attitude Era. I recall when um when we went to see the we weren't going out very long. We went to see the Avengers, the first Avengers movie, and um she hadn't seen any of the Marvel movies. And I was trying to explain to her the relationship between Thor and Loki, as kind of whispering away during the scene. I was like, oh, they're brothers. They're sort of brothers. They're not really brothers. They used to get along. Now they don't get along. And she paused, looked me dead in the eye, and said, oh, like Edge and Christian. And I thought, right, this one's a keeper. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, she she was not into wrestling until uh, New Japan. So yeah, until yeah. you know, modern New Japan on uh, on NJPW on Access actually. And oh. 
And now the show's off the air, so. <laughs> too bad, too bad. Chris, how, how are you? How has this festive season been? Doing good. Uh, festive season was nice, quiet for the most part. I mean, we threw like a nice Christmas uh, Eve dinner like we Brazilians tend to do for this time of the year, which Americans look at us weird, but we just basically explain what Thanksgiving dinner is to them, Christmas dinner is to us. So yeah. that that eventually shuts that conversation down fairly quick. But yeah, uh, as of today, it seems like all of the Christmas snow decided to come all at once. We're looking at about... 12 centimeters i think it is it's about five inches is what they mentioned for us so far in counting so we've got about 12 centimeters i think is what it is down on the ground as of now so yeah it's yeah the temperature kind of took a nosedive and it's supposed to be coming back up for first thing tomorrow so uh what are in the united states bizarre as shit sometimes uh yeah we tend to in ireland it's rain most of the year but we get a uh, like the last two or three years we've gotten a heavy snowfall in march of all times of the year it's like having a second winter it's it's very grim altogether uh well it, 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 it was 60 degrees fahrenheit on on boxing day in chicago so you know <laughs> nice i mean hey it's one of the things and, but, 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 but it snowed on halloween so go figure yeah <laughs> And in terms of football stuff, it was kind of hilarious seeing uh, Flamengo shit the bet against Liverpool in the Club World Finals a couple of days ago. So not, that was amusing enough. In the time oh, here, here, here comes just... the Palmeiras fan talking. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, shockingly a first for our program to have a Palmeiras fan on. <laughs> I mean, that that's basically it was like, passed down from the family at that point. They took me to one of the games against Sao Paulo FC when I was four, and hey, we at the very least, I got to see them in like their hit glory days in the 90s, and then just the inconsistency that it's been the 2000s and 2010s, and most likely the 2020s, so <laughs> hooray. Yeah, I think uh, seeing as you're on the line with uh, Arsenal and Manchester United fans, inconsistency is a feeling we can all share. But we're not here to talk about football. <laughs> <laughs> we are here to talk about professional wrestling. And before we uh, get go through the rules and start along this match list, uh, I'm just going to whip around the table and ask about our beverages for this episode of Pick Your Poison. I'll kick off. Uh, I'm going with a very, very local brewery, Kildare Brewing Co.'s Van City West Coast IPA. Um, I was trying to track down the whole range of these for recording before Christmas, um, but they seem to only pop up in the odd off license. So I was very happy I was able to finally trap one. Uh, Lee, what have you got this evening? I've also gone local. Well, I've just gone a bit bigger than you. Uh, I've gone for Guinness because that's just, you know, it's a Christmas tradition. You have to have Guinness. This is true enough. Uh, Jeff, what are you rocking there? Well, I have a can of Tiskia sitting right next to me in honor of uh, of Staggerly Malone, but that is not the one I'm going to open up first. I am actually going to also go local. I am going with a Revolution Brewing Fist Miss Holiday Ale brewed right here in Chicago, and you, I don't oh. know if you heard that. Ah, yes. It's uh, got a little bit of a hop flavor, but it's a, you know, a festive spice, uh, you know, Christmas type uh, type beer, so... And as far as names go, that's a pretty strong one. That's that's some great branding going on. Well, the uh, yeah, the uh, Revolution Brewing uses a clenched raised fist as their uh, as kind of their branding. So excellent. Excellent. Chris, what do you got there? All right. So initially, my idea was when I was purchasing beverages yesterday, as we uh, mentioned during the group chat with a couple of pictures of what I was looking at, some interesting names popped up, but 
ended up deciding to go with an Oscar Blues Brewery, which is a brewery about an hour northwest of where I'm at, over in Longmont, Colorado. Uh, Cannibalist Citrus IPA. Problem is, with the amount of snow that got dumped on us, I realized during the Christmas Eve party, somebody had gifted our entire family a nice bottle of uh, Don Julio tequila. Oh. And I had some lime juice in the fridge as well, so I decided to take about two shots of the Don Julio, uh, throw it in with the lime juice, uh, a little bit of honey, mix it up, and that's what I'm drinking. Oh, good stuff. Warm up the system accordingly here. Uh, as always, Days of Thunder uh, influencing a casual kind of alcoholism in our guests and our hosts. Um, right, I'm going to go through just the pick your poison rules for anybody who didn't stay, uh, listen into our Eddie Guerrero episode, which I recommend you uh, you you trace back and have a listen to. Uh, our rules are the guest or guests in this case pick the wrestler. They must be on the active Thunder roster at the point in the timeline that Days of Thunder is currently covering. The guest Dave and Lee each pick two matches, one of their absolute best matches, the kind of no questions asked. This is one of their Stone Cold classics, and then one personal favorite. The matches cannot be from WCW between nine. 1998 and 2001 as we either have or likely will cover it and once a wrestler has been picked they can never be picked again so now Eddie Guerrero cannot be picked for another episode and after today Chris Jericho can no longer be picked um let's just get into this match list uh, for those of you who didn't see us tweeted out at WCW Thunder Pod the matches we are talking about tonight are Lionheart versus Ultimo Dragon for the uh, WAR International Junior Heavyweight title from the third anniversary show on the 7th of July 1995 Chris Jericho versus Sabu ECW Extreme Warfare Volume 2 2nd of August 1996 Chris Jericho and Chris Benoit versus the two-man power trip for the world tag team titles Raw is War 21st of May 2001 Chris Jericho versus Shawn Michaels from WrestleMania 19 Chris Jericho versus Christian from Unforgiven 2004 Chris Jericho versus Shawn Michaels World Heavyweight Title Ladder Match No Mercy 2008 Chris Jericho versus Kenny Omega from Wrestle Kingdom 12 and Chris Jericho versus Tetsuya Naito from uh, Wrestle Kingdom 13 so a, a, a weighty number of matches. And first and foremost, we will be doing these chronologically. And uh, Chris, you're up first. It's Jericho versus Ultimo Dragon. Um, why did you pick this match firstly? And, and kind of give us a rundown on what's going on here. For me in particular, uh, one of the things that I remember when I came into pro wrestling was around 2001 when I moved to the United States and started watching around summer of 01 so it was just shortly after the invasion angle has started so a lot of my sort of knowledge of past matches and stuff was just backlogging in any way possible throughout the first like two or three years of watching whether that was through your kazaz of the world or eventually youtube being a golden mine for sort of this stuff eventually this match ends up being found and it's just to me, considering the junior heavyweight style around the 90s was starting to develop into kind of the thing of beauty that we know that it is today, uh, this match pretty much had every bit of it. Uh, maybe not as psychology heavy as some of the other matches that we're going to be talking about in the show here, but it had pretty much just about everything else. You had two young, exciting guys who could do a lot of fantastic moves uh, who worked each other really well in the process. Uh, very quick, interesting, very engaging from start to finish. And I think it's an essential match in Jericho's career overall because that particular match in Genichiro Tenru's War Company, Wrestle and Romance for those who are curious, uh, Mick Foley, uh, aka Cactus Jack, was in the audience watching this 
And he eventually sent the tape to Paul E., uh, to Paul Heyman uh, over in good old uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So that's how he got his uh, ECW gig, basically. It was off of the tape from that match. So I felt it was essential to cover it. And it is, for that era of Jericho Lionheart, one of the best matches that he put on. And Ultimo Dragon's always been one of his best opponents. So. Mm. Um, Lee, as Chris was saying there, uh, the junior heavyweight style of the early to mid 90s is incredibly influential in the path uh, mainstream professional wrestling would take uh, in the years following. Um, Was this the first time you saw this match and uh, what were your impressions of it? Yeah, this was actually my first time seeing this match. I've heard a lot about the match and I'm actually I'm surprised I never actually got around to watching it. But um, yeah, it's like it's like we're watching 98 Jericho at the moment. And he is a cruiserweight, but he's not very cruiserweighty, if that makes sense. He's not you know, like your your standard cruiserweight. But in this match, like you see him flying all over the place, and he kind of the story of the match seems to me that they're matching each other move for move. They're kind of mirroring each other. Yeah. And to see him kind of do that with like ninety five Ultimo is it's very very eye opening. I have to say, like this is a guy that can kind of do it all. Like which obviously where you are aware of now in twenty nineteen, but like. Yeah. To see that in 95 from Chris Jericho, like he was only, what, four or five years into his career? Yeah. I think it is. It's one of the incredible things about it is how early this guy was fully formed as a wrestler. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, one of the things we will hit upon throughout the show is the constant evolution of that that character that he was um, throughout his career. But in terms of his actual mechanics, he had it so quickly um, that it was a very impressive outing uh, for so early in his career, as you say, Lee. Uh, now... Jeff, uh, Jericho noted in his first book how important war was for his career, not just in terms of, as Chris said, getting those tapes eventually to Paul Heyman, seeing this match, getting his his break in North America, but just generally for, for his development as a wrestler. Um, when was your first interaction with seeing this match and, and, and what kind of highlights have you picked out of it yourself? Um, my first interaction with this with this match was during the tape training days. Uh, ah, so this yes. would have been the the late nineties. Uh, I actually, however, you know, my my memory is not what it once was. I actually kind of forgot that this match happened. And when Chris picked it, I was like, ah, shit, I should have picked this one. <laughs> but uh, but no, I I had my reasons for picking the one I did the the other one I did. Um. It, it was interesting rewatching it, um, especially when you see, you know, some of the, you know, some of the things that you don't necessarily think about. Like, for example, uh, Yoshihiro Asai, his Ultimo Dragon match, uh, mask, excuse me, uh, it wasn't the distinctive one that we remember from WCW just yet. Mm. It was a different mask. Yeah. So it was just a, a full face mask rather than the one that, you know, drapes over his shoulders, you know, his more distinctive one. Uh, I also noticed that really early in the match, uh, we saw some some proto code breakers, mm. both uh, both from Jericho and from Ultimo Dragon. Uh, but another thing I noticed is that something you never really see with Jericho is he was kind of getting his Mitsuhara Musawa on doing both a tiger driver and a tiger suplex. Yeah, I, I, I guess you could say that was also Satoru Siyama, too. But, you know, that being said, I mean, you, you never see Jericho do those. Yeah, yeah. I, I was kind of blown away to see that the, the Tiger Suplex in particular. Like, that's not a move you see very often from a lot of people. 
Yeah, it was uh, some of the things he was, he had in his repertoire here in this match were kind of surprising between, as you said, the, the Tiger suplex. And I, I think even though he was no stranger to the top rope in his day, I, I found he was doing an awful lot of dives in here for, for a Jericho match. I found there was a couple of uh, there was one moment where I, I thought he nearly died, where he he does uh, a springboard cross body. But then when he does a second attempt, it, it looks because it's at the far side of the ring, it looks like he almost lawn darts himself head first onto the ground and nearly dies. It scared the shit yeah. out of me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and immediately to give him no respite from that, uh, Dragon hits the uh, the slingshot 450 to the outside of the ring, which is crazy. And that's one of the other things as well. And I think would have been uh, unusual for the time. Um, and it's just when this junior heavyweight style gets more popular is that this match was wrestled at an absolute clip. Like it was breathless. Uh, for the time it was going on, um, and I, I, I loved like a little thing that kind of carries it over into pretty much all the matches that we watched. Is even at this stage, you have Jericho like screaming at the crowd, like "Come on, baby!" Doing this yeah. like typical Jericho shtick, like, like yeah. oh yeah, they're, 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 oh yeah, they, yeah. He he was definitely developing that heel persona uh, very early on. You, you, you could tell that. And in fact, if we had gone even earlier, like when he was, uh, you know, Corazon de Leon in, in, in Mexico, we, we might have even seen that, too. Yeah. yeah. And he like you can tell, like um, the majority of matches that we've picked here, he he either is a heel or, or maybe a tweener, you could say, in some cases. And it's something he's always been more comfortable with. Like something about Jericho coming out at the start of this match and shaking hands with the fans in the in the front row just felt a bit off to me. Um, like it, it's cool for your, your clean cut babyface to do that, but I'm just not used to seeing Chris Jericho being that nice. <laughs> it's a bit unsettling for me. Um, have we got anything else to, to add on this one, apart from the fact that the version of this we watched with French, com- French commentary, the French commentators were brilliant. I, I actually, you know what? I, you know what? For some reason, I couldn't find the 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 one that I I for some reason I was able, unable to find that one. But I managed to see like a, a poor quality, you know, videotape capture of it. It was Japanese commentary, so I was like, oh, okay, you know. <laughs> um, this version was both versions were good. It, yeah, was this recorded for like a W? It, it seemed like a um, yes. It was like, for Jericho's first uh, DVD special that he had with uh, WWE back around. 05 or 06 when he returned after like his two years, I think, uh, absence, yes. like um, recording, doing fuzzy break, stuff and things like it that. Was, yeah, uh, breaking the code, break I think is what it was. Yeah. Yeah, it was from that DVD, from the third DVD that had all the matches. That was the selection. That I was kind of sad because apparently there's an alternate commentary thing with Jericho and Matt Stryker covering the match itself. And while Matt Stryker is a dunce, uh, Jericho talking about the match itself would have been. Kind of a nice uh, bit of commentary just oh, I, as well. I, I, actually, I, I actually think I have that DVD somewhere. I may end up oh, having to dig that out. Yeah, so so wait a minute. So this was actually on an official release WWE DVD. Yes. Okay. I, I, I guess I'm not entirely surprised. I mean, if nothing else, I know that um, McMahon and, and Genichiro Tenru always kind of had a decent relationship with each other. So, I mean, that doesn't surprise it, me. And Jericho got to pick the matches himself, so that was a, and with his relationship with Tenryu on top of it too, I think it was just an easy get for them to put that on the DVD. So, yeah, 
I think I love those when those multi-disc sets come out and it's clear that the, the wrestler has actually picked the matches. It's it's always it makes for a much better. I shudder to think what sometimes the WWE production staff think are the best matches of Wrestler X. I would much rather let them choose themselves. Um, moving from uh, one extreme to another and we have Jeff's first pick and this is Jericho versus Sabu uh, from ECW uh, 2nd of August 1996 uh, Jeff this is I wasn't expecting this as a pick from you but I was uh, I was pleasantly okay. surprised by it and especially pleasantly surprised before you get into it by how for the first four minutes of this encounter it's the least Sabu match of all time they're just doing some razzling for the I, first I know minutes. right so and, uh, go, on, uh, go yeah. ahead all right well I was gonna say that, okay so this is from August the 2nd 1996 live from the Lulu Temple in Plymouth meeting Pennsylvania um the reason why I picked this match uh, is more nostalgia than anything because this match was part of uh, it's more infamous than anything because uh, the the solicitation for this match was always the one and only meeting between Sabu and Lionheart Chris Jericho from the ubiquitous advertisements for ECW Extreme Warfare Volume 2 that was on every single episode of ECW Hardcore TV that you ever saw from about late 96 all the way up to the end of ECW. So, like I said, this match is more notorious or infamous than anything. And furthermore, this was a fan cam capture yeah so this i don't i don't even know for with absolute clarity that this match was ever on ecw hardcore tv uh jeff just just before we we move on and get the other guy's perspective on, on this match um could you explain for the younger generation that might be listening in that didn't have to have the struggles of the tape trading community uh what the phenomenon of fan cams were like back in the day uh, it, it was kind of massive. I mean, you still see them now. I mean, they, they just get posted to YouTube half the, most of the time nowadays. But yeah, I mean, to have a fan, like have somebody in the audience, you know, happen to bring their their little camcorder with them and, and tape a match. And especially for this one to end up on an official ECW videotape. I mean, that, that, that was kind of massive. Um, now. The match itself, like you mentioned, uh, yeah, it starts off with actual mat wrestling for about the first couple of minutes, which very not not Sabu. Very, I mean, it was ECW. I mean, because of course you know Malenko and Benoit had been there too. Mm. But um, you know, a lot of the things that made this match what it was wasn't necessarily the wrestling, although you could see you know a couple of you know the the the. Um, the you know the 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 typical Sabu botches where you don't even know if really if they count as botches because that's just how Sabu was, but <laughs> but a lot a lot of this you know a lot of this you know a lot of the notes I took had to do with Joey Styles's commentary on this match, mm. like for example like if 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 Jericho wins this then he could be a top contender he had just dropped the TV title. <laughs> So what the hell are you talking about, Joey? <laughs> and also, you know, they, they say that this would be the biggest win of his career when he had, again, already held an ECW title. But uh, perhaps you know, there the, was... the, the second most ridiculous win-loss records in, in professional wrestling. 
But also, there was a very strained, oh, my God, from Joey <laughs> Styles when we get the uh, Sabu doing the top rope jump, which transitioned into a DDT through a, through a, a setup table, which... <laughs> I mean, it was a very strained, oh, my God. But the, the, the best bit of commentary itself was but from Jericho himself when he failed to, to pin Sabu. You just hear this very audible, ah, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, it, in the end, uh, Sabu wins with the triple jump moonsault. An odd show of respect between the two. And, of course, this would be uh, Jericho's penultimate ECW match because his final match for ECW was the next night at the ECW arena where he lost to uh, two Colt Scorpio. Hmm. So uh, historically significant in terms of his, his encounter with Sabu and it being him on the way out. Now, Chris, I'm often fascinated by how like Sabu is when I watch him wrestle, whether it's back then or particularly uh, as his career would progress and he would get more and more banged up, how I, I look at him and I know He's definitely terrible in a lot of ways, but I am enthralled by everything he does in the ring. He's just a fascinating figure of a man, Um, whether he's doing something uh, incredibly wild like that DDT through the setup table that Jeff mentioned or a moment that, uh, again, a man nearly died two matches into this playlist where he attempts his Arabian press moonsault and spikes himself onto the top of his own head. Um. How, how are you? Are you a Sabu enthusiast in terms of his, his matches? I know as a human being, I, I think we were probably all less than enthusiastic about him. But uh, in yeah. terms of his, his wrestling career, would you have described yourself as, as a fan? Uh, to be honest, uh, it was very interesting in terms of his style, even to this day, being something that you can't, that doesn't as exactly get replicated and probably for good reason but <laughs> it made it made him unique especially at that particular time with the scene in which uh he was in where it definitely made him a cold favorite amongst uh ecw fans and such uh like jeff said the wildest thing about this was the initial matt chain wrestling portions during the first three or four minutes but shows that sabu does have the basics down i mean his uncle was the sheik and all but yeah. At, on the same fence, uh, you could definitely tell Sabu opted for this more reckless daredevil kind of style to stand now compared to the rest of his peers at that particular time. And within North America, especially, where there wasn't that much of an establishment in terms of your high-flying schematics or it was very basic at that time until Cruiserweights came through within WCW and showed more of the... Lucha Roots, and then you had a little bit of the junior heavyweight style with guys like Liger coming through. Uh, it was unique in its own right, and that was cool to see. Um, definitely a very Sabu-esque match with a couple of botches here and there, but I almost think that a Sabu match without any botches is some sort of weird alternate universe that I'm not yeah. sure I would think all of us would want to live in at this point. Um, uh, Chris, Chris thing... seeing I was always a regular watcher of ECW Hardcore TV, uh, yeah, you're 100% uh, on the money on that one. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I to... think that um, the, the botches themselves are some of his high spots. Yeah, that's the gist of it right there. Uh, the I mean, most... we, 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 we are talking about a guy who literally at one point had his arm ripped open down to 
the muscle and bone, and he just duct tapes it or or athletic tapes it together to get yeah. through the match with I, you know that 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 infamous barbed wire match with Terry Funk. I I recently yeah. watched that match bell to bell for the first time i'd seen clips from it obviously i think we all have but i hadn't actually mm-hmm. sat down and watched the whole thing and it's genuinely like i've seen many death matches and things like that over the years but i think it might be the most profoundly uncomfortable experience i've had watching a wrestling match yeah, the, you yeah know, it, it, it's almost like that the the old average you know another ubiquitous advertisement that was on every yeah. episode of ecw hardcore tv yeah. you know it was too extreme even for ecw and yeah. you know yeah. what uh, I mean, maybe it was right they were actually right on this perhaps so and i would say that definitely ranks on the top three for me but then again i was at mania weekend this year for uh the spring break shows from janela and i did see that masashi takeda jimmy lloyd death match that oh, they had in the yes. event so we Ooh. all thought jimmy lloyd probably was uh about to die literally from that scissors board there at yeah. a certain point so yeah yeah no that's i mean fair. he was fine but holy shit that was something else at that particular junction while watching in person anyways the most interesting thing i found out from researching this and then obviously seeing the match itself apparently uh future aw president tony khan was in attendance that night for this match (laughs) he's spoken about it in a podcast before so i'm just like well then oh chris that is an incredible wow I, I, how did I miss that? So, uh. so that would explain all the unsanctioned matches. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look. That so, is, so, so Tony Khan was a big ECW mark, is what we're getting at here. He was, yeah, he was apparently a tape trader in this day too. So, I yeah, mean, he was an observer, yeah. subscriber, and the whole lot. Yeah. Big wow. T- big you know tone what? has those chops. Suddenly, I have to. Suddenly, I, I I feel like I have to give Tony Khan a lot more credit than I think even we have on Boom Goes the Dynamite, Chris. <laughs> Indeed. He gets an extra notch in my book. I'll say that. He's moved <laughs> on to, like, notch two. Uh, <laughs> uh, Lee, in terms Damn. of Jericho's performance here, uh, a different kind of opponent, um, a different kind of match, a different kind of setting, but I think all the same, y- you can see that Jericho was not long for uh, toiling away in matches against Sabu. He was he was going to head on and, and be a star in his own right. Uh, you could see it this early on, couldn't you? Yeah, oh god, yeah, like he, one of my notes is like he just moves like a star. Like to see him in this like such a small setting mm. and he just stands out like even again like Sabu, Sabu was a big star, like Sabu had been in New Japan the year before, he'd been in WCW. This guy was like a world star at this stage. Mm. But next to him, like you just you look at Jericho and you go, Yeah, that guy is going somewhere. Um I just wanna say, um I've only just seen the confirmed, but Sabu is definitely cancelled. Oh, oh, shocked. Just <laughs> <laughs> um, some breaking news there in the, uh, yeah, yeah. the year of 2019. I am uh, stunned. Um, but yeah, no, like... The, the, the- well, well, who is actually paying attention to Sabu in, in, in the year of our Lepidopterist uh, 2019? Exactly. The, I, I think <laughs> he showed up for what year was it he was in OTT, Lee? Was it 2015? Oh, I think it was yes and even when he was booked in ott which wasn't the ott that's renowned around the world now even when he showed up then people were kind of like oh come on <laughs> you know and that was nearly five years ago now so yeah um, didn't he have like a triple threat match or something on ott yeah it was before i was going regularly so I, I can't really remember exactly what he did i might look it up um but yeah any other thoughts on this lead before we move on 
Um, Jericho did another Flyger Suplex, so you have that bit of continuity going through the first yeah. two matches, which is interesting. Um, but no, look, it, it's a fan cam match. You know, Joey Styles doing solo commentary. It's it's very 1996. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, a product of a time in a lot of ways, but you could see, as we say, that Jericho was on to bigger and better things. Speaking of bigger and better, we're fast-forwarding now to 2001. Raw is War from May 21st. Uh, and it is Chris and Chris, Jericho and Benoit versus the two-man power trip that was Stone Cold Steve Austin and Triple H. Um, this match, obviously, for, for anybody uh, who has seen it before, is uh, notable mainly for uh, Triple H's quadricep tear that happens towards the end of this match. That would leave him out until the very end of 2001. Uh, in some ways inconveniently and in some ways very conveniently for him missing the entire invasion and not getting tarred with that shite. Um, I, we had been talking off the air before we got on and I think the best man to go to first because he uncovered many feelings he had on this match while watching it. I think the best man to talk to first about this one is Jeff. All right, yeah, put me on the spot here. Okay, well, uh, I mean, first of all, just for just for clarity's sake, this is actually Chris uh, Chris's pick, so uh, I, I would have gone with him first. But um, you know, really, this first of all, I'm just gonna say I, I was kind of queasy watching a Chris Benoit match. Yeah, that's something uh, we've, we 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 had to rip that bandaid off ourselves. All right, yeah, I, I remember that. I think that was like your first episode. You you talked yeah. about that, and yeah. I remember. You, you know, already in death. Like, it's just, it, it's one well, of you know, it's the first time you jump in, it's, uh, it is. Yeah, it, it's not a, really a feeling I, I want to go away, because I really should be feeling queasy watching Chris Benoit matches in, in, in 2019. I mean, I, I typically tend to avoid matches with people that I know are, you know, either died in the ring or did some unspeakable evil, you know, mm-hmm. but, I mean, we're, we're here now, but... All that being said, I also remember watching this live, and it, it was just this this entire match. All it said to me was this was a throwback to a world that no longer exists. Mm. Because I mean, just like with, with every little thing, people were like, watching Raw. Well, <laughs> right, but people were watching Raw on TNN at the time, not yeah. USA. They was on the you know the the Nashville network or whatever they had the national network. I think is what they rebranded. I mean, this mm. is long before they became what did they become? They became Spiker versus. Yeah. I can't remember Spike. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, so I mean, it, the the channel that this show was on no longer exists. The venue that this was at was at the Compaq Center. And, of course, Compaq would cease to exist within five years because Hewlett-Packard would buy them out. You know, it, it's just, you know, it, it, this is just like it, it's a it's a window into a just pre-9-11 world that, you know, no longer exists. I mean, it, it's just it, it, it's a weird time machine. But, I mean, it's also in, in some of the other, some of the other things about the match, too. Like, for example, we. This had the the really awful disturbed version of Stone Cold Steve Austin's theme. Uh, look, I you know I think I think it's because I was twelve when this match happened that I've always had a little bit of a soft spot for that version, especially when compared to the version he would take on during the invasion that was even less audible. Yeah, I'm gonna side with Dave. The disturbed version really wasn't that bad. It was the best of the uh, edited versions that were to come. 
Yeah. Well, but again, you know, Triple H even brought, you know, he he even brings down Motorhead with his theme. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, you know, but it's just some other things that that were that we don't see anymore, which is like, for one thing, we had Benoit being the face in peril for most of this match. Yeah. Benoit being the face in peril. Couldn't do that now. Uh, for a number uh, of reasons for several reasons but also you know this was i mean this was great because this was virtually two years after his wwf debut Mm. and this was finally the moment chris jericho really came out and 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 made himself Mm -hmm. the main event or superstar that we always knew he could be from back in wcw and the 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 other thing that doesn't happen nowadays the crowd was absolutely nuclear hot. Oh my god, it was yeah. amazing. It was fuck it. They were living and dying. There's a moment leading up to the hot tag here where a, like the kind of as always uh the tag match breaks down into a brawl outside the ring and when the crowd senses that the hot tag is coming, they are like they are coming unglued here. If I could just actually jump to Chris just for a second and ask you uh why exactly was it you picked this match uh, of, of Jericho's around this time? As a personal favorite, I feel just all of the elements were there. You had the crowd. You had the stakes in which Austin and Triple H at the time is the two-man power trip controlling all the gold up until that point with yeah. 24 hours prior, Triple H finally losing the IC title due to a botched Austin interference, but Austin still having the World Wrestling Federation title and the tag titles at that time. Uh, You had Jericho and Benoit coming off of winning tag team turmoil the previous night after Benoit wrestled Kurt Angle in a two out of three falls match before that to open the show, I believe. Mm. So you had all of these elements coming together with a hot crowd in Chicago, the the stakes of the tag team championships, and undoing the two-man power trip once and for all. Not to mention the idea that one of these guys getting at Austin probably meant getting a shot at the World Wrestling Federation title at that time too, which we would eventually see a couple of weeks later uh, during that. Uh, The other biggest thing for me in particular too is because I went through that particular Raw show and the opening segment involved Austin and Jericho trading barbs there before the two teams brawled with each other and stuff. Uh, and Jericho with the iconic one liner, basically saying that somehow, some way by Stone Cold Steve Austin selling a soda, Mr. McMahon, he became an even bigger slut than Stephanie McMahon Helmsley, which just <laughs> popped me in more in unexpected ways, given the nature of 2019. Just like what a, what a bar to throw at what arguably was still the biggest star in the company at that particular time. So yeah, it, Again, this was still kind of the tail end of the Attitude Era, so having that crowd being the way that it was uh, definitely lent to the atmosphere. And really, it was a good match all around with Benoit playing the face in peril, the heels acting like dickheaded heels, Jericho coming in with the uh, fire off the hot tag, uh, good amount of false finishes. And of course, uh, for a lot of people, this is the infamous match where Triple H tore his quadriceps and basically ended up missing out on, you know, the months of action missed out on the invasion angle, and it was sort of a prelude as well because eventually Chris Benoit would follow him uh, suit on the injury list as well a couple weeks later uh, and miss yeah. out that entire portion as well too. So yeah, um, interesting time. Chris, uh, uh, hey, I'm sorry. Did you say in a hot crowd in Chicago? <laughs> I mean, it comes with the territory, but considering the Attitude Era, that was like 
even more so than the usual. Well, I, I was just curious because the match happened in San Jose, California. <laughs> uh, for some reason, I thought it was Chicago. That's on me. Sorry, guys. <laughs> okay. yeah, that, that, that's, that's what threw me for a loop there. I mean, Which, to be fair, it, it, is even more surprising. Yeah, well, you know... It, <laughs> <laughs> you know, enough, yeah. I, I'm gonna say if, if I if it wasn't for the fact that I actually took all these detailed notes about the match, that would have just gone right by me. But <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I I just I, I just picture now that Dave Meltzer was leading the the, the chance. <laughs> I, I was just gonna say, yeah, yeah obviously had the, the front row like leading. He was all almost these certainly in the building. Like, um, I think my biggest confusion with that is because I remember even years back when watching it, there were a couple of guys in the front row that I think had Chicago Bulls jerseys. So for some reason, that's probably where I drew it on them. Like, yeah. oh, there's Chicago. Okay, fine. So. I, I think there's part of that 2019 part of your brain where it's like, oh, it's a hot crowd in wrestling. It can only be Chicago because most other towns WWE go to are dead York, now. Possibly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, Lee, uh, I think if you if, if I time travel back to 2001, scared the shite out of 2001 Lee and asked him which one of these four men would be a world champion on top of a promotion in 2019, Chris Jericho would have been your fourth guess of four. Um, More than likely, yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it was incredible to see him, uh, as Jeff had said, still on the rise. And, and as Chris was saying, this was his moment where they finally realized, okay, you know, Chris Jericho is at a level above where we've been p- pitching him thus far in, a, in his WWF run. Um, what What are some of your thoughts on this match before we kind of shoot back to Jeff again? Like like Jeff pointed out, like to see Jericho as the hot tag, that was a big, big indicator. Like that, this is it. This is them now taking Jericho seriously in this position. Like I know we'd had the Triple uh, H trio in two thousand, which also had that. Um, wasn't it two thousand? I had the the Hell in a Cell match. Yes, and I I was tempted to pick that one as a personal favorite. Yeah, but, was that um, fully loaded. Yeah, wasn't that when Tim White fucked up his shoulder really badly? <laughs> And yeah, then would uh, much later on be doing WWF.com skits about him being suicidal. Yeah, because uh, that's hilarious. Um, but yeah, no, like this. Sorry, they had their last man standing match at Fully Loaded 2000. Oh, was the last one? Okay. Yeah, yeah. They, had, they had a great series anyway in 2000. Um, but yeah, like th- this match, it was just great to see Austin and Triple H as proper, like Southern style heels. Like double teaming on the uh, abdominal stretch, like cheating behind the referee's back, um, stopping the hot tag, the initial hot tag to Jericho. Um, just great stuff, like properly great tag team wrestling. Like, yeah, um, they they were short lived as a tag team, but I think this was kind of not that he was uh, awful in two thousand and two, but I, I think like as as well as the the quad tear, I think this is really the end of the the hottest in ring period of of Triple H's career, running from the summer of ninety nine um, through to this injury. Um, you know, love him or hate him, and uh, personally, and a lot of people do hate him. Um, he was as a heel in, in that company, pretty much untouchable during that period. He was he was incredible. That, that two year run is one of the best North American runs of any wrestler. Oh, big shout! Ever like, big shout! It, it really is. And of course, it it doesn't hurt that he had the likes of The Rock uh, around Bobby. him as the number one babyface, and yeah, Austin coming definitely. back, and definitely. Um, a hell of a mid-card like the likes of a Benoit and a Jericho coming around from 2000 on. Um, 
yeah, uh, just just a just a hell of a roster at this point. And like you said, Lee, just a, a great tag team match. See about 15 or 16 minutes, but they pack a lot of shit in uh, in this one. Uh, I, I'll go back to, to Jeff here. Any any more thoughts on this? Because um, I know I kind of cut you off there midstream. No, I mean, that, that, I, I pretty much said what I had to say. I mean, the, as far as the wrestling goes, yeah, that, I mean, even that is a window to a world that you never see anywhere because WWE would never do a match like this now. Yeah. And I guess even though I haven't watched WWE programming pretty much since around this t- the time of this match, actually, <laughs> probably, probably since about 2002. Um, yeah, the, the, yeah, they, they would not run a match like this in this mm. day and age. It's, it's and absolutely it, like a big four pay-per-view quality main event. Like it really was. Nice. And it was on raw, but I mean, at that point, I mean, it, it, it needed to be on raw. It, it needed to be, you know, they needed to, to, to build their star on a big TV show, you know, mm. and, and then, you know, one of their next big stars. And then they just had to keep it going. Um, how successfully they did that, I don't know, but, you know, because uh, I think around the time, yeah, around the time uh, Mick Foley finally retired for, for real, and then, well, for real, for real, haha, and then, <laughs> um, you know, when Austin legit walked out on the company, that was about the point why, the, I, I, at that point, the only wrestling I was really watching was, um, you know, Mudo's All Japan and uh Kenta Kobashi's uh, run in Noah as the GHC champion. I, I was I was pretty much out of wrestling at this point. At, at that point, so uh, a couple of other things to to go back to Chris who picked the match here that that I really loved in it. Um, you know, I know a lot of people going uh, growing up in the nineties watching WWF. You know, have a soft spot for Jr. and the King, but. I have always held the opinion that at least in the WWF, the greatest announced team of, of the era we've lived through uh, is J.R. and Heyman. That short-lived, I fucking love J.R. and Heyman together. And 100%. The, bar- the barbs constantly... You know, that, that, that was good. That was good stuff. Uh, there was a point at which J.R. said something and Heyman cut across him and said, that was a good point, but not as good as mine. Um, <laughs> and I love that shit. It was like... I, I think by 2000, just before Heyman came in, I think Jr. not as complacent as he is now, saying things that are um, racist and, and such on uh, live on AEW commentary. Not that lackadaisical, but he had gotten a bit lazy with Jerry, and I think Heyman really like lit a fire under that dude for six or eight months, and it was an absolute pleasure. Listen, he he used to say racist shit all the time during great Buddha matches. So, uh, yeah, let's not go that far. Yeah. Yeah. It's just one of the circumstances where I think Heyman is such an agitator as a personality, like in general, in or outside of the ring, to where it kind of forced JR to sort of like keep his shit together and, you know, almost laser focus to an extent on the points that he was making because. He had, I think, somebody that could finally trade bards with him for the first time in a long time compared to King, who would just always go for the sophomoric-esque humor or just a full heel shtick kind of thing. Yeah. Or, you know, or, 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 you know, just be a complete perv, too. You know? Well, I, yeah, that, that goes without saying, though. I, I always think that, like, he, that their combination on that WrestleMania X7 card adds, like, a half star to every match. Oh, They're just so good mm-hmm. on it. And yeah. I'd, like, 
as long as I live, will never forget the line about how, before the main event about how it's a match that both men need to win and neither man can afford to lose. Just fucking great stuff. Uh, mm. Bell to bell. And then the other thing, Lee, if I ever were to hit you up for this uh, little uh, bit bit of information uh, here, how, how did you think about how well they clearly adjusted and headed to the finish in spite of the fact that Triple H was clearly like super fucked up. Like I, to this day, and I know people have said it on like the documentaries that have been done about Triple H, but I I cannot understand how a man with a full quad tear can still move around, get up on an announce table, take a walls of Jericho, hop back into the ring, do a sledgehammer shot and, and hit the finish. Um, This is one of the most remarkable cases of kind of like just gutting it through uh, a horrendous situation and the other three men um, managing to cover for it. Do you know what? Lesser wrestlers would have fallen apart. Like, um, yeah. I always Sin remember... The, 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and his pinky finger. Yeah, um, yeah like, the, the one that people always talk about was the Shawn Michaels one when, again, Triple H got fucked up. Wasn't the... Uh, uh, New Year's Revolution. New, Year, New Year's Re- Revolution? Resolution? Yeah. Whatever it was called. Um, with Edge and Orton, and everyone talks about God, you know, Shawn Michaels took control and did everything perfectly. Yeah. Well, like these three guys, Austin, Benoit, and Jericho, did not miss a step. No. But and again, like, like like you said, you have to commend Triple H. Like the guy got up on a fucking announce table, yeah. moved around, positioned his legs into the walls of Jericho. I didn't miss a fucking beat. Still got back yeah. into the ring and got involved in the finish. You can see poor Earl have to try hold his hold his legs up because he didn't have the strength himself. And uh, one of the things I appreciate was like how professionally and safely Benoit took him down and rolled him outside mm-hmm. of the ring uh, for the finish to get him out of the way rather than like just smashing into him. Yeah. Um. Yeah. This was really impressive. Well, I, I I will point out, Hiromu Takahashi did finish his match with Dragon Lee uh, with a broken neck in, yeah. in San Francisco. So uh, I, I, adrenaline's a funny thing, guys. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. Uh, moving on, we have my first pick. We have Sean versus Jericho from uh, WrestleMania 19 and Safeco Field. Uh, one of my, uh, like my, my favorite cool arenas that a WrestleMania has been in. I've always fondly thought back on WrestleMania 19. Um and this match, like I, I picked it for a number of reasons. One, I just think it's a wonderful match featuring two of my my favorite professional wrestlers. My my first favorite wrestler, uh, who I was telling the lads during the week that uh, like the first wrestler I saw, I was six years old, and my cousins showed me Sean coming down from the ceiling, um, for rest the WrestleMania 12 main event, dressed in gold and white, and he was my hero from then. And then Jericho was a guy that, as I started to watch towards the end of his WCW run, and then particularly when he came into WWF kind of became a firm favorite as it never really shifted from there. And I've always loved um, the story they tell in this match, the idea that um, Sean was Jericho's hero um, and a lot of kind of his moves early in his career and and the way he styled himself was very reminiscent of an early career, Sean Michaels, and how that plays into the psychology of the match of kind of Jericho is not only wrestling Sean Michaels, but he's wrestling this massive complex he has about wrestling his hero and trying to out-wrestle Mr. WrestleMania uh, and stuff like that. I, I think it's a fascinating match psychologically, and I think it's it's not one of these. We, we talk, uh, my other pick is a match between them later on in both men's careers, and I think this is a stripped down. It does not really any bells and whistles. It's just some, some really, really good professional wrestling from where I sit. I'll, I'll, I'll hit up Lee first on this one. I fucking I love this match. 
Yeah. Um, I, I actually, I, I love WrestleMania 19. Like you say, the setting is so unique. Yeah. I know it's a, it's a baseball I mean, stadium. We got uh, the gif. We got the gif of uh, Vince McMahon bloodied coming up from over the apron, and mm-hmm. that's if if that's all WrestleMania 19 gave us, then that was enough. Well, we also got Nathan Jones doing a spin kick. I will not have you disrespect the Colossus of Bogger Road on my I show. I know, I know, you you are a big fan of <laughs> having Nathan. once, having only found out fifteen years after the fact that I saw him live in Dublin in like two thousand and one. Uh, yeah, yeah, I've always been an ironic fan of the uh, man. But yeah, go on. But yeah, no, I I love this match. I I actually prefer this match to the um, the Kurt Angle match that happens a couple of years later at WrestleMania Ooh. for Michaels. Um, I I think this match is great. Like you said, the whole story of Jericho patent patenting himself after Michaels, like pretty much from the start of his career, like the hair, the the tights. You know, he had the tag team with Lance that were like a rip off the rockers, the, the thrill seekers. Um, like all of it, it's just such a great story. And then the match, the match is so great with like Jericho trying to do Michaels moves, but just not quite doing them as well. Yeah. And then and then you see Michaels, you know, do the real thing. And I love I love Jerry Lawler's line of is it real or is it Memorex? And it's yeah. just like it that that's when Lawler was like good, you know? Yeah. Um if you can imagine there, such a thing now. There's one moment in the match when Jericho starts tuning up the band for the super kick. Yeah. And the crowd like you don't hear crowds like this anymore. We're literally as one, they all boo. Yeah. Literally, the whole arena just boos, and it's just—it's fucking glorious. Yeah, they're just not having it. Um, Chris, your your thoughts on this one? I think for me in particular, uh, for one, uh, I have to agree. Safeco Field is probably one of the best venues that they've ran of WrestleMania, and Seattle's a good town to do stuff yeah. like that into. So I would love to see them explore that sometime whether that's going back to safeco field for even something like a royal rumble like they because they've been doing the baseball fields the past like last year they're doing it this upcoming uh, or rather this year 2019 since we're still not in 2020 yet they're doing it for 2020 as well so it'd be nice to see them like go that route in 2021 if they decide to do another big mm-hmm. show in that town there i think what i love the most at the particular time when watching it uh a couple of days after the event itself is just how Jericho kind of embraced that particular moment of a Shawn Michaels that was getting back into form for his first WrestleMania since his back injury and just uh, he hung with him. He didn't get overwhelmed by the moment. And in hindsight, you almost think that a match of this magnitude with the caliber in which both of these guys became if this was a match being ran in 2019 at wrestlemania it probably would be the main event kind of thing yeah. rather than just be uh sort of fifth or sixth from the card i think is what it was yeah it's like uh, almost just, dead center yeah yeah but just very fun stuff done between the two uh i nearly bit it on the uh jericho stolen finish with the sweet chin music himself they're like mm. i could have easily bought that as the actual finish to the match itself uh, did like the fact that Michaels finished it with, you know, a uh, wrestling hold for his pen is to kind of establish that it wasn't him overwhelming Jericho. It was just him being one step ahead of him as the yeah. veteran in this uh, occasion. Yeah. And it lent well to the eventual rematch that they would have on Raw a couple months later. So yeah. I, I think during this uh, less selfish phase of, of Shawn Michaels' career after he came back from the, um, the, the back injury, 
uh, you'd find him doing that every now and then where he'd use a sneaky roll up to like, right, I'm still going to protect the guy and not say I'm decisively a better wrestler than him. Uh, just that on this occasion, I was that one step ahead. His comeback match against Triple H was similarly a roll up victory um, at SummerSlam 02. Um, and yeah, I really appreciate that about him. Now, Jeff, uh, you kind of, like you said, you would kind of stop watching around 2002. So what was this experience like going back to this one? <laughs> Um, you know, I, I was still kind of keeping tabs on things, you know, cause I, I mean, how can I, you know, not when I'm, you know, still, I was still posting to DVD VR at the time and, you know, I was still getting, you know, tapes from Japan. So, you know, I, I would, you know, come across news items. I was like, I, I, I heard about Shawn Michaels is coming back. <laughs> He's been gone for four years. I thought he was done. Yeah. You know, it, 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 he's come back. So, I mean, obviously I've had, you know, a, a few years to get over this notion. Mm. Um, you know, the, the, again, I, I really wasn't as invested in this match. I mean, it was a technically it was a good match. Yeah. I'm not going to say it wasn't. It, it, it was, you know, I, I see, you know, I went back. I read the, the Wikipedia entry for WrestleMania 19. And it says say that, yes, it was, you know, this was universally considered the uh, the the match of, uh, you know, this was the, the match of the show, all that. You know, it was just some of the other things I was taking notes of, like uh, the 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 Kellamania sign that you saw <laughs> during Jericho's entrance. Uh, I'm trying to figure out why Noodle from Gorillas is on this sign. <laughs> <laughs> it was a 2003 was a weird time, Jeff. I don't know what to tell yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, 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 I was. <laughs> was it 2004 that Demon Days record came out, I think? Gorillas yeah, it was two, that was, oh, that was totally 2004, yeah. Ah, it right, was so. the, the best album of that year, too. Um, I, 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 I did have to chuckle at at, uh, at Michael's having issues with his confetti guns. Yeah. <laughs> like two, two of them just did not, you know, completely no sold them. But also, it was just kind of interesting. Uh, Michael's winning not with Sweet Chin music, but basically a Gato clutch. Yeah. In a WWE. And, and by, again, this was by then, they had become WWE by then. Yeah. And so, yeah, this is completely out of my experience, you know? Yeah. I think so it, 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 it was a good match. I'm not going to say it wasn't. It was just, again, much like the previous match was a was a world. It was a peek into a world that no longer exists, but it was one that I lived in. This one is a world I did not live in. And this is just it, it, it's a, kind of an alien. You know, this I guess this would be what the uh, you know, the, the next couple of matches are what would they call the ruthless aggression era, I think Indeed. is what they called it. Yeah, yeah. Th- this is a this is a this is an alien planet to me that I never lived on. You know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it'll be very interesting to get your your takes as we get deeper into this era here with the next couple of matches. But um, yeah, I, I really like uh, just to give a couple of my thoughts before we move on. Like it was a great match. Uh, like I said, I love the story. A couple of moments in this match were incredible. Like say Jericho, uh, not only replicating a lot of Sean's moves, but countering a lot of Sean's moves, showing like this guy is a huge fan, of course he's got the dude scouted uh some moments like jericho uh one of my favorite things about jericho's heel character is that like he is uh scared sometimes of wrestling superior wrestlers but as soon as he gets a moment on top he suddenly becomes overly confident about it and uh, at one point he downs sean and he does the Shawn michaels pose and sean immediately nips up behind him and the camera angle shot of that was fantastic um 
I love how, uh, kind of as Jeff alluded to, this is the period of Shawn Michaels' career where he clearly was just going to do the match he wanted to do and no one was going to say otherwise to him between the way he was finishing matches with roll-ups and things like that instead of this was very much a period of WWE where it's like, no, you finish with your move. That is what you do. Um, or the fact that he was obviously at this stage in his career doing fairly blatant nods to to Ric Flair uh, between the, the figure four spot and the, the Flair bump into the corner as well throughout this. And also it's worth saying that I, I thought that considering that the feud was going to continue, the post-match was five stars, almost Shakespearean with the, the kick of the balls, the slow slide down Jericho's body as Jericho casts him off to the side. So yeah, I love that. Um, just, just before we move on, I just want to say, I this was 2003, obviously, WrestleMania. The 2003 Royal Rumble match, I very strongly considered picking as one of my picks because that match starts with Shawn Michaels and Chris Jericho as number one and number two. Yeah. And it's actually Christian comes out as um, Jericho at the entrance and Jericho yeah. sneaks in behind Michaels, throws him out and then studies him up and whatever. But Jericho's performance in that rumble is fucking legendary. Yeah. He bumps for everyone in the match. Yeah. And it's also the match where he takes, I think it's a cane shot from Tommy Dreamer. Mm-hmm. And there is a lump the size of fucking Alaska on the, yeah. on the side of his head. Yeah, a, a, a lump that would make the, the one Adam Cole had look like nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, pretty incredible that that Royal Rumble performance. And yeah, uh, anything, whatever Sean's big angle for Mania was going to be was always like a really big key part of Royal Rumbles during that period. I think of the the stuff with Angle the year later and the stuff with Taker in in um, a few years later. Um, moving on now, we we'll go to Lee's pick, uh, and that's Jerry. This was one I was not necessarily expecting. Uh, Jericho versus Christian in a ladder match from Unforgiven 2004. Lee, left field pick here for your personal fave. Talk me through it. I love Jericho and Christian. I think they have great chemistry. Yeah. Um, they they were a tag team for a long, long time in 2003, and then they feuded or began a feud over Trish, basically. Um, it was like, I think it was something stupid, like a bet about them pulling, I think it was Lita and Trish, wasn't it? At yeah, some stage, and then it grew into like a real feelings kind of storyline or something. Um, yeah, it turned. Yeah, it was like she. Then it turned out she was leading Chris uh, astray and turned on him at, at WrestleMania. Yeah, basically, yeah, Jericho was scorned, so he became a babyface. So yeah, you know, typical Vince McMahon stuff. Yeah, um, but yeah, no, Jericho and Christian just have this incredible chemistry, and. Like a lot of people talk about the Ben Wall ladder match, and obviously I didn't want to pick that one for very obvious reasons. Mm. I find Chris like WWE Chris Benoit different than WCW Chris Benoit, as I've said before. I try and separate the two. So this one has pretty much a lot of the same spots, but I think it's done that little bit better as well. And yeah. it's it's kind of a forgotten great. Like it, their their feud was kind of fucked up because. They had a cage match at one stage, and I think Christian had got a really bad back injury. Mm-hmm. And then the IC title was vacated for a little while, and then this was the um, the match to crown a new champion. And mm-hmm. it was kind of a little bit cold coming into it, but I thought they had a, a fantastic match. Yeah, for sure. And not one of those, like there were some dangerous spots uh, involving the ladder here, uh, um, but not like... 
we had yet to reach the ladder match on steroids period necessarily that the the money in the bank which had started this year wasn't it um it was either this was either that year that or was two, 2005 was the first one. Oh, 2005 so yeah so that would start the year later and that would start then the escalation of doing ridiculously contrived stuff with ladders so this was kind of towards the end of the era of uh ladder matches that showed a modicum of restraint um we're a bit deeper into the ruthless aggression now, Jeff, and uh, much further from uh, safe harbor for you. Uh, how how did this one go down? Um, you know, it was um, as you mentioned, uh, ladder matches. Uh, for me at this point, um, in, in 2019, I, I could take or leave. I mean, uh, there, there there was a ladder match at Madison Square Garden, and I infamously just walked laps around MSG while it was happening. Um, that being said, I, I think Leah's right. This was the the end of kind of you know showing restraint during ladder matches. Yes, there were some you know in, insane spots during it, but at the same time, that there weren't. It wasn't like nonstop insane spots. Like so, it, it was a good match. The, the the one thing I was like. Uh, a little iffy. I was like, "What well, CLB for for Christian?" But yeah, you guys explained that one to me. So yeah, uh, yeah. off the air, the, the creepy little bastard era was really weird. Um, yeah, but uh, you know, otherwise, you know, it, it was a perfectly fine match. It uh, you know, it, it did what I had to do, and and uh, you know, once again, you know, uh, Jericho got the result that he needed. So, mm. um. I, was just gonna say, I, I think CLB is proof that letting wrestlers do what they want isn't always a good thing. Yeah, yeah, All right. Um, <laughs> I remember at the start of that CLB era because it was a it was a Christian and Austin thing, Lee, wasn't it at the start? Yeah, if I'm remembering the story right, when he was the sheriff. Yeah, it like it started with them trading like voicemails and on like car journeys and stuff, and that's where Austin came up with the creepy little bastard thing and. Um, yeah, but it basically started on TV as Austin like couldn't stand them. Yeah, and like I think Austin even wanted to do like the Vince McMahon thing, like on on the TV he wanted like the cover of Christian's face and all this kind of stuff, you know. Yeah, um, I, at least I suppose that the one good thing we got from the CLB era of Christian um, was not only this match, but then the um, the Team Bischoff Team Austin Survivor Series match. I'm always very fond of. Um, I think that was a, a, a great performance and not, not just because Shawn Michaels was like the Iron Man of that, of that Survivor Series match. I always love that, that, that Survivor Series match when WWE had all but abandoned the idea of making Survivor Series matches consequential in any way. Um, along came that one. Um, Chris, your, your thoughts. Hey, on, on this? Has there even, has there even been a point to a Survivor Series match anytime in the last 30 years? Uh, well, there was the one that was basically done to bury Mike Knox a couple of years later. <laughs> When it was, was it DX, the Hardys and the Punk? <laughs> Sean yeah. Michaels. Is the, he in the match? <laughs> yeah, the, the 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 burial of Mike Knox and the uh, the hilarity that was uh, CM Punk very early on in his WWE run being more over than DX and the Hardys <laughs> was, uh, I, I think, a humbling moment for a lot of people in that ring. But um, Chris, could I get your thoughts on this ladder match? Like we said, a bit more restraint than we're used to in 2019. Mm-hmm. But I think... Uh, in terms of psychology, a very solid match. Yeah, it definitely had a much slower pace than the car crash and burn ladder matches of the last six years or so. Uh, it was, it lent itself nicely on the fact that it showed that both men would go to just about any length to 
win the vacated title, but mm-hmm. that they did it in a way in which uh, you could feel that they were trying to hurt each other with the particular ladder spots and not just go from one spot to another spot just to get the crowd up and going. Uh, I could see how any newer fans going back into this match and watching it probably would think that it's way too slow paced and probably a little bit boring for their tastes. But I think that for the particular time and the circumstances, it was fine. We even got to see a really cool, um, the uh, latter version of the walls of Jericho being used there to lend itself towards the ending of the match, which was nice as well. So uh, I, I dug, I dug it in that regard and I dug it also because I remember that particular rivalry between them throughout that year just had a lot of really good moments. Uh, Obviously, the story with Trish being involved, paying off with the turn, with the double turn, basically, mm. sort of happening. Because, I mean, even with both Christian and Jericho being heels, it was kind of a situation where Christian was the least liked of it, but he had his reasons for doing what he was doing at that time. But then Trish turning on Jericho to be with Christian at that point just solidified which side of defense both were on at that WrestleMania. And then it just led to what happened throughout the rest of the year. So for, for sure. And I think uh, one of the things I really love about a ladder match is uh, it's something I discussed on uh, the progress paradise over on PW torch when I was uh, the honored guest of one Alan Forel, where we talked about how we prefer as opposed to great ladder matches, which are your big car crashy spot fest. We prefer great matches that happen to involve a ladder. And then this was one of those. And on our last episode, we talked about another one of those with rvd and eddie there was very there was maybe one spot in this match where i was worried for anyone's safety and it's the one where kind of by complete accident jericho went arse first onto the side of the ladder um but these things when you involve a ladder there is going to be some heightened element of risk uh but yeah Yeah. very much enjoyed this one um let's move on now to the last one in our, our wwe uh spell here and it's no mercy 2008 it's jericho and Shawn michaels um, I picked this for a number of reasons. One, because I think uh, in terms of character work, um, 2008, Chris Jericho was completely fucking untouchable. Um, he was incredible. And this was the vindication run where a lot of people who had said for years while he was toiling away in the mid-card that Jericho was main event level heel good. This was the moment, the victory lap that people could take on that one uh, with this kind of character he often says was based on Anton Chigurh from No Country for Old Men. He was wearing suits. He was talking slowly and very seriously and meticulously. He had this incredible feud with Shawn Michaels throughout the summer. I think it's also fascinating from the perspective of getting to see kind of bookending our time talking about uh, WWE Chris Jericho by looking at his matches with Shawn Michaels at different points in his career um, and and how different this match was. Obviously, it's a gimmick match. It's got the ladder involved. um, But I I think it's just fascinating to get the kind of looks at these guys a few years apart, five years apart, and see where they both are. Obviously, um, Shawn Michaels is only a couple of years away from the idea getting towards the end of his career and Jericho still going strong now. But um, yeah, I always loved this feud because again, it's between two of my favorites and because Jericho was just on top of the world at this point in 2008 for me. And um, I'll go to Lee first. Um, 
uh, and talk me through this one. This is one I remember because 08 WWE was really, shall we say, patchy in terms of match quality. And I remember I would only kind of dip in and out around this time. And I remember listening to a um, either a Brian and Vinny show or a Wrestling Observer radio where they're like, no, holy shit, like go out of the way to see this match. This was proper good. Yeah, uh, the, the feud, I think, was a little bit better than this match. <laughs> like, I, I, I liked this match. I didn't love it on rewatch. Mm. I remember loving it at the time, obviously. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I think I think my expectations were too high coming into it into a rewatch yeah. because I had remembered loving it so much. Mm. Um, but just, just before that, like, I, I kind of watched a bit of the pay-per-view before actually getting into this match. This was like a no mercy. This was a B pay per view. Oh, for like, sure. This this card was fucking stacked compared to like what they'd have today. You had Ray versus Kane in a, in a mask match. Well, if Ray lost, he lost his mask. Big Show Taker, Triple H versus Jeff Hardy at the peak of the Jeff Hardy singles run, and then this uh, ladder match as the main event. Like that is a ridiculously stacked card. Um, like even for like WWE standards. Mm. No, absolutely, yeah. Um, and I think we will go over to Jeff next because I think you were also kind of a low man on this one talking about it. And I think it can be a case sometimes where, like, if Shawn Michaels isn't your guy in the first place, that particularly his later career where it's all about him trying to build these big Shakespearean epics of, of stories and matches doesn't necessarily age as well as the more technical mat wrestling matches like he would have had at WrestleMania 19 or as Lee had earlier invoked his one his feud with Kurt Angle as well um this didn't necessarily hang for you in 2019 did it well first of all I'm going to start to divert for two seconds uh just to make this official I am opening my tisk now so hang on oh there right. it is. here we go here we go here we go it's a tall can too so one of them tall boys Oh boy! Okay, I could not find any Qingdao. Uh, believe it or not, I actually could not find any Qingdao, Lee. But uh, just for you, I have one other beer you can't pronounce in my fridge too. <laughs> a, 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 a Sapporo, as well as the Purwa that I showed you in IM. So anyway. we all knew this was coming, guys. But, but hey, you still you still can't spell it, so you know. <laughs> Fuck you, Lee. <laughs> My God. <laughs> okay, so, um, yeah, I, this is why I've already said that, you know, ladder matches in 2019 are not my thing. Also, I also never, never liked Shawn Michaels. <laughs> So, yeah. Imagine my thrill to watch two ladder matches and two Shawn Michaels matches <laughs> on this. But you know what? I'm a good sport. Um, I, I wish I could yeah, say Michaels, it was a deliberate effort to troll you, but it wasn't. Uh, it, it wasn't. No, I, you had no idea. So, um, you know, it's just I, 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 I did a little bit of research on this. I think maybe my enjoyment, both this and the Christian match would have been heightened had i had any of the context going into it yeah like probably. removed from context i okay uh these two guys um they clearly don't like each other but they're gonna do a ladder match okay great i mean that, that to me that was you know that was vince russo wcw booking as you guys are going to find out <laughs> sooner or later um I, I i did make a couple of notes here though uh number one i i do find it odd that 
the two up, up at least up until that point, the two um, WWE pay per views that happened in Portland, Oregon. Yeah, I I, I had this right there myself. Both had, both had ladder matches yeah. that Jericho won, so Jericho got to feel pretty good about working Portland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bo- both so. that we've covered on this show. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm sure that was a complete coincidence, but it was, it's just, you know, one of those funny things to note. Um, I do know that, yeah, as we said, yeah, now now we get the car crash type um, uh, ladder match. However, it also seemed like they were also trying to redo their greatest hits from the WrestleMania match, too, mm. at the same time. Uh, I did note uh, Jericho breaks a tooth in this match. Yeah, because yep. you could see it. I think that's yep. the yeah, seesaw spot, isn't it? Uh, I think so. I, I, I believe so. Because, uh, yeah, I think it was a- after that that I noticed that. But also, um, this one, yeah, the, the fuck finish with... Who, first of all, who the fuck is Lance Cade? Second of all, <laughs> why, are they fuck, why are they fuck finishing a ladder match? <laughs> you know, uh, I actually it, think... He, he's a Lance... Shawn Michaels student right, at the yeah. time. He was, so he was, was, was he in the class with Spanky and Danielson? He was. Yes, yes yeah. he was. Mm-hmm. So... So I oh, think you okay. actually you, you you wouldn't have enjoyed him during this period necessarily, but like a year previously, he was in a tag team with Trevor Murdoch that might have been more up your street. Like they're a proper yeah. old school Razzlin heel tag team. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the revival before the revival. Basically, yeah, they were mm-hmm. quite enjoyable. Oh boy, oh boy. Uh, but but uh, uh, yeah, but I mean, and then to find out that this match was match of the year from the Wrestling Observer, it's like. Wow, yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, was wrestling in 2008 really that bad? And then I look at the New Japan results from that year, and uh, yeah, it kind of <laughs> was. <laughs> yeah, it, it was real. The whole feud and and Jericho's run as a heel was kind of like a real exception to. 2008 WWE um, and yeah I think you would have enjoyed it with like this had been running throughout the whole summer there had been the like really heated angle with Jericho accidentally or maybe not so accidentally punching Shawn Michaels wife um, and actually when they did the spot he full on actually potatoed her shoot punched her yeah and like there's a famous story Jericho tells about how like he was um, like he was so feeling sorry for himself, but just like so apologetic backstage after it all happened and like both her who had been a nitro girl and sean are both like no no we're really happy you laid it in <laughs> it really sold the angle oh my god <laughs> you know I, I, all, you know all, all i gotta say to that is I, I i just remember this this is around the time i think you know again you know i i, I caught blips here and there and cm punk being one of the top guys in the promotion i'm just remember thinking god i remember fucking seeing him down in Jeffersonville, Indiana, working IWA Mid-South. You know? Oh, my God. <laughs> that, that, yeah. hey, the, the, oh, hey, the books aren't good right now, brother. I'll pay you later. Yeah, Ian Rodden has been a scumbag since forever, so, you know. <laughs> I'm stood. You were going to say something early? I was just going to say, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but wasn't the start of this feud that Chris Jericho pointed out that Shawn Michaels is a lying piece of shit? Yeah, um, yeah. Yes. Nobody, nobody else could see it but him. Yeah, because yep. it was um, he was he had like a leg injury that Jericho was convinced he was faking. Mm. Um, that, and then there was like Sean played it at some stage, didn't it? Yeah, Sean played yes. it really well because like there were various points at which he just briefly would stop selling the leg that made you go, oh, oh, maybe. 
you know, it was I, I really liked this feud. And, you know, um, one of the, the iconic moments of it was kind of reminiscent of the barbershop window incident where Jericho puts uh, HBK's head through the obscenely expensive Geraton, Geratron screen mm. on, on his highlight reel segment. Um, um, I love so this feud. I was just going to say, I, I watched the final three matches that we're going to cover with, uh, with my son, Connor. Yeah. <laughs> and now, bear in mind, he's just turned seven. But he's seen an insane amount of wrestling because he's fucking obsessed like I am. So And, and you're raising him right. That is true. <laughs> um, but at one stage, Jericho or um, Michaels gets crotched on the ropes. From He's like attempting to climb the ladder and Jericho pushes over the ladder and he gets crotched. And Connor turns to me and goes, oh, it's like WrestleMania 10, the match with Razor Ramon. <laughs> and Great. I just turned and I went... <laughs> yeah oh yeah i mean you, you, yeah there's definitely a lot of callbacks in, in Shawn michaels matches you know it, it, as i've noticed um chris we haven't heard much from you on this match what were your thoughts oh on that? no uh for me specifically definitely because i was following that particular feud at the time i think it's a great closer to what was probably one of jericho's most intense feuds like even the stuff a couple of years earlier with Shawn michaels was more based on almost like wanting Michaels' respect and that whole, yeah. you know, the comparisons of, you know, you were my idol and what I aspire to be and blah, blah, blah. Well, at this point, Jericho is full-fledged, comfortable in his own skin, and he thinks he's above Michaels in every yeah. way, shape, and form, and it lent itself really well to the stuff that they did. I think the broken two for Jericho is unfortunate that it happened, but I think it lent to the full fledged brutality of this feud which was even displayed the month before at unforgiven in their unsanctioned match that they had against each other uh Mm. which was lent itself over to this uh particular match and the stuff with lance cade made sense at the time since you know cade was being mentored by jericho and it was a way of uh getting at michaels and so on so i think it hit all the right pieces of the storytelling that they were doing at that time and it's a really good uh, closer for one of Jericho's best feuds in that particular decade. So yeah. uh, I was really happy to uh, get to rewatch it, seeing the uh, craziness behind it as well. Uh, it is funny to this day, though, that uh, the whole angle between uh, Jericho accidentally shoot-punching Rebecca Michaels out and her going, don't be a wuss about it. Like if you hadn't laid it in, I would have been more pissed than what I am right now kind of thing. It's hilarious in its own right in a way. Just how wrestling can be kind of carny sometimes, but funny in certain ways, depending on the context. Yeah, absolutely. If I were to think before we move on from here of another match to check out, if if, if Jeff was ever interested in this period of Jericho as a heel, it'd be, what was that pay-per-view we watched recently, Lee, uh, the Rey Mysterio match? Oh, yeah, it would have been uh, uh, somewhere around the thing. I can't remember no. exactly. Uh, I'll have a look, but there he has a feud af- after this, I think, or maybe slightly before this. It's around this time with Rey Mysterio, and they have this... It's un- the mask match, is it? Yes. Yes. That, that has, uh, honestly, Jeff, one of the greatest finishes to a WWE pay-per-view match I've ever seen, where... Uh, Ray goes to hit the 619 and mid-move Jericho snatches the mask off his head. Extreme Rules 2009. Extreme Rules 2009. Oh my god! And I swear to god, Jeff, you will watch this finish a hundred times over and have Mm -hmm. no idea how he got the mask off his head that quick. It It is... It was the smoothest shit I've seen in 
eons, even yeah, to this it, day. I'm just like, wow, the timing on this had to be 100% perfect. Yeah. Like one millisecond, something goes too fast or too slow. They yeah. fucked that up entirely. Like, the story goes... Not, the, the story goes, as myself and me were talking about recently when we rewatched this match, the story goes that they had to demonstrate to Vince that they could do it uh, before they were allowed to use this as a finish. Because obviously the margin of error was so tight, they had to prove that they were able to pull this off before they were allowed to kind of okay this as the finish. And it's it's just, it was an incredible match before that, but it is one of the best finishes I've ever seen in a, in a WWE ring. One of the cleverest finishes, uh, that's for sure. We're going to move on from the United States now into uh, our guest's wheelhouse. Uh, we're going to talk Wrestle Kingdom 12 first, and it's Alpha versus Omega, Chris Jericho versus Kenny Omega. Chris, this was your pick, and this was Chris Jericho's long, long overdue return to Japan. Um, firstly, why did you pick this match? And and secondly, can you cast your mind back to, to when this happened and the kind of reception uh, online and more specifically in Japan at, at the return of, of Chris Jericho. First of all, it was my pick. <clears throat> oh, was it? Sorry, I have it. So a bit, you know, just typical unprofessionalism for you. So no. Yeah, I know. That's yeah. Here he is. Here he is. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, one of these days, I'm gonna go to the effort of like editing stuff to make you like call yourself an idiot or something like that. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're letting me spill a beer all over myself, yeah, yeah. so, you know, what more can you do? <laughs> yeah, I'll just reinsert <laughs> that segment anytime you bury me. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, I picked this match because I think this is one of the most important matches in modern New Japan history. And not only that, it's a fucking fantastic match. Um, like, Jericho being in New Japan was such a big deal. Yeah. Like, and like, like I say, I watched this with Connor and he's seen it before, but he watched it and he turned to me and he was like, he's like WWE Jericho. And you know what? That's what it is. This is WWE Chris Jericho transplanted into 2018 New Japan. Oh, yeah. I, I, I had that note myself. And I think Chris and I covered that back at the time, didn't we? Chris. Yes, we did. Mm-hmm. And it's such... It's like a shock to the system it, to see a WWE superstar in the Tokyo Dome taking on Kenny Omega for an, an IWGP title. Yeah, is... well, this is the thing as well. Like Jericho's long-held thing because he's one of the guys who cites like Vince McMahon as almost like a surrogate father, mm-hmm. uh, even though Ted Irvine is very much alive and still involved in his angles. Weirdly, um, that he always swore blind to Vince; he would never work for a competitor. Um. And yet, like, we have the New Japan and obviously now the, the All Elite. So it was, as you say, just absolutely surreal seeing this. But, but it's also, it's not only the fact that you see, like, light-up jacket, pant, or tights, or um, short pant wearing Chris Jericho. It's, you're hearing Kevin Kelly mention The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Triple H. You're hearing all these WWE, WWE names on a New Japan broadcast. And that's just... Like, I know it's only, it's less than two years ago. Not only that, they they actually put WWE on his Chiron, you know, know, Mm -hmm. on his Chiron when they introduced him. Like, this was full on. WWE superstar Chris Jericho. Yeah, Y2J in New Japan. That's what this was. Yeah. 
uh, absolutely phenomenal, like just a, a spectacle to see. And it moved the needle for, for New Japan World yeah, uh, as and, well. And I just want to say, I don't think it can be underestimated how big this was for New Japan in expanding their fan base in not only America, but in Europe as well. Mm. Um, if we were to move to, to, to Chris next, your, your thoughts on this, that the Jericho showing up in New Japan for this big match with, with Kenny Omega, who was just the guy at this point. Um, and um, yeah, your, your thoughts on how this whole, whole, whole thing went down. I mean, for Jeff and I, it's still definitely surreal that this did happen at the time when the announcements were initially made when he showed up in Fukuoka out of nowhere to just beat the crap out of Kenny Omega and the brawls that they had in press conferences in between leading up to this. Uh, I will say, I think my only gripe with the match, unfortunately, is that I do think that in the vein of trying to make it this epic, like, 30-something, like, a minute main event it would have been a much better match, I think, if they had just cut it to the 20-minute mark like they did with the one that we're going to talk about next after this. Uh, but I do think that outside of a few spots, not clicking the way that either guy probably would have liked to do, the nature of it being just an outright brawl, the use of the weaponries uh, and such, I think it lent itself really, really well to uh, what they did. And it showed that under certain circumstances in a certain style that Chris Jericho could do more of these uh, New Japan matches, which eventually we would see a little bit more of as we've gone mm-hmm. forward here and as we're continuing to see. Um, again, yeah, the it, interesting it, thing is this is the fact that it is WWE Chris Jericho that we're looking at, or at least the last remnants of that before we get what we have now. Mm. Yeah, and, and I do want to point out that, you know, this also, by the way, was for the IWGP U.S. heavyweight title, a, a belt that New Japan pretty much specifically created for Kenny Omega. Yeah. So, um, you know, a, had a whole a, tournament a, to crown him and everything. Yep. Yeah, and yeah, Chris and I were there. So <laughs> we, 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 we saw it. Um, you know, there, there were a couple of other elements I, I really uh, thought was interesting in this, and it, it, this is something that's going to come up in, in the Naito match that we're about to talk about, too. But you could see a straight line between, uh, you know, Shawn Michaels inspiring Jericho, and now they're talking about how Jericho inspired Omega. But now instead of Jericho ending the career of the veteran that inspired him, he's trying to end the career, you know, he, he says this is your last match. He's trying to end the career of the re- the superstar that, he inspired yeah i think it's a that's an interesting trajectory there is yeah, no, trajectory it, it, for it's, him it's actually brilliant mirroring it's like instead of trying to snuff out old yeller in sean michaels in at that wrestlemania match now he's the the grizzled vet trying to stamp out the the guys who in were inspired by him and may surpass him yeah um, it, it, it's really it, it, you know it's a story of baby boomers everywhere pretty much <laughs> um, yeah uh, you know, the, the, but yeah, I mean, I, I think we all have this this note here that he was basically still very much in WWE mode mm-hmm. when he did this. Um, you know, but I mean, even so, you know, he some of the, the other wild shit he did, like he 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 murders Don Callis. Yeah, <laughs> this match, yeah. he murders Don Callis. He attacks both father and son with red shoes and yeah. um oh. and, and, and Shoto Umino, which you know the fact that shoot. Shooter would fall under the wing of John Moxley just a year later. Um, 
it, it, it makes us. I'm wondering if we're going to eventually, you know, assuming the Chris Jericho in New Japan thing continues, which, um, you know, given some of the comments by Jericho, I there's a possibility it might. I, I wonder if we're eventually going to see Shooter try to get his own back at some point. Yeah, like it, <laughs> if if Shoto Mino goes after Chris Jericho in 2021, at some point it will be the greatest piece of storytelling long term booking. Uh, we have and and you heard it here first, folks. Yeah, yeah. And, and he, I, 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 love, I love the bit that he, he knocks down uh, red shoes and then puts uh, Shoda in the walls right beside him, and it's just screaming at red shoes. Look at your yeah. son. Look at your son. <laughs> and, and you know the thing is, is that one thing we we didn't pick up on is that Jericho, I think would have known red shoes because red shoes initially worked in war. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you know, and, and also, you know, yeah. And you know, he shouts out Koto. Oh, no, no, wait, I'm sorry. That was oh. the other match. My bad. But yeah, he's also, yeah, he, he taunts Masahiro Chono. Like I just look at that. And that, that, that was like the one moment in the match. I'm like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> How dare you? He always How dare you. He always Thomas is fine. Red shoes yeah. is fine, but don't, don't you dare disrespect Chono. Fuck with Chono, man. He's, he's one, one of, of the three guys. Uh, the one complaint I have about the match is that there was a severe continuity error where they made a big deal about why Kenny Omega had to grab the cold spray because they said a rope break wouldn't work. But then towards the end of the match, rope breaks were a thing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, with the escape of the one in Angel, yep, that was the one minor quip I had with the match yeah, as well. Too. I'm just like, well, wait that, a minute. I mean, it's a minor quip, but it's a pretty major quip, too, because that, mm-hmm. that you know, it was just, okay, why don't they just have, you know, they, they, they needlessly set up the cold spray spot, you know? Yeah. I, I, also, remember, could... I remember in the aftermath of this match, there was, uh, I think, uh, a lot of the kind of the Western Twitter audience were, were trying to look for things to pick apart about this match. I remember at the time being being one of the, the, the high men on it. I, I really love this match. And um, it, it covered for Jericho's limitations very well. Um, Chris and I, if I recall correctly, Chris and I really had no faith that this match was going to be any good. And we were both very pleasantly surprised. Mm. Yeah. I think it was just more the concerns of a lot of the unknown factors between Kenny wanting to work a certain style of match at Wrestle Kingdoms like he's done before to uh, whether Jericho would adapt to the sort of thing and whether the no DQ stuff would get in the way of them both doing that. But as it turns out, they uh, even though it went a few minutes too much for me personally, they yeah. did oh, manage yeah. to get all the stuff that they needed to do story-wise and did a very pleasant job of that. Uh, very much impressed. I was very much impressed by it. Yeah, for, for sure. Uh, the other notable thing I will say about this match before we move on is that it was the debut of the greatest rock and roll song of all time, Judas, mm-hmm. uh, in professional <laughs> wrestling. That would eventually become that was the uh, beginning of that, yes. a, a terrific... A terrific period for the Jericho Renaissance in 2019 was the week and a half where Judas was the subject of many memes. And then right as that was starting to trail off, the little bit of the bubbly thing happened and <laughs> Jericho was just the biggest thing in wrestling again. The only thing that I'm mad about is that my particular bottle is still another week from being delivered. I oh. wish it would have been here a week. You bought so a bottle be- of that, you fucking mark. Yes, I did. <laughs> Yes, I did. We're, 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 we will have to talk about this next week on uh, on, on on Boom Goes the Dynamite. Sure. Oh wait, actually, no wait. I'm sorry that that this episode will drop after that, so never mind. Lately, <laughs> uh, you're going to say something before you I'm move on. Say, um, I'm sure in 2019 you're not much of a fan of uh, Soccer AM anymore. 
Uh, no, no. <laughs> it's been many years. But uh, obviously, you, you're familiar with the concept, and they, yes. they do like the um, the kind of drills outside. They do now, and like they're asking the fans questions, and they if they get one right, a professional shoots for them. If they get one wrong, the celebrity who's obviously shit takes a shot for them. Yeah. But like, obviously, they they have like a hooter that goes off at the end. Right. And Connor called me into the room uh, the other day, and the signal for the end of the round was Chris Jericho going a little bit of the bubbly. Uh. <laughs> so it has fully like gone. The the only time I've ever seen a clip of Soccer AM was uh, a YouTube video when Scroobius Pip, who I don't know if you know who they he is, yeah, but he, yeah. he 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 is a uh, a poet and rapper, and who, uh, who had pro- who had one of the biggest regular. memes of yeah he had uh, one of the, uh, the the biggest memes of two thousand seven. With uh, "Thou Shall Always Kill," which is a great song, but yeah, I just remember seeing him and the guy who was—I um, can't remember his name now—but he was McLovin. You know, he was oh, also Christopher you know, Platts. Yes, yes, uh, yeah. McLovin was there. I forgot what jersey he was wearing, but of course, you know, Scrub is wearing his Millwall shirt because he's he's a fan, and um, of course. And, of, you know, Scrub, of course, was also in the best TV show of 2017, which was Taboo. So, you know, dig it. Sorry for the digression. No, that's that's perfectly fine. That's, that's what fine. our that's the backbone of our show is built on tangents. Um, we go to our final match from Wrestle Kingdom a year later, and it's Jericho versus Tetsuya Naito. And we will stick with Jeff on this one. Uh, Jeff. Oh, yeah, I, I am. I am ready to, to, to opine on this one because. Of course, the buildup for this match started the day after uh, the match we just discussed at in, at New Year Dash, when Jericho randomly attacked Tetsuya Naito, which you know everybody you know which, uh, a great bit that ended with uh, you know Naito grabbing a chair, looking like he was going to throw it at Jericho, but of course does the you know calmly sets it down in the ring and leans back in, in, in Tetsuya Naito style. Uh, the, the, the build to this went all the way up to Dominion, or I think it was, um, it was wrestling Don Taku when Jericho showed up dressed as Bushi, another member of Los Ingobernables de Japón, uh, you know, attacks Naito, including, you know, hitting him with a complete fucking gusher. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I mean, this was the Crimson Mask. (laughs) He was... Uh, yeah, Naito w- was bloodied. Um, Jericho Naito would go was on to like '90s Mudo vibes with that kind this of. This was like, yeah, this job. was a Muda scale. Yeah, this was a Muda scale blade job on on that Naito did. Uh, this would lead to a match at Dominion in which uh, Jericho would beat um, Naito for the inter- IWGP Intercontinental Title that Naito's had a very very complicated relationship with. Uh, this would in turn lead to an actually pretty damn good match against evil at uh, king of pro wrestling. At least I, I enjoyed that. Chris, I don't remember if you liked that match or not. Yeah, that, I, I liked that as well. It was nice seeing Jericho interact with something that wasn't like, you know, you're that upper echelon of the card and having something with the upper mid portion. Uh, right. But then again, you know, leading yeah. up to that, but leading up to that evil, you know, Jericho bummed like a champ with uh, evil delivering, you know, the evil STO on him. Mm hmm. In, in the run-up, too. So, and then, you know, it, 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 it was a slow build all year, you know, it, up to... But at this time, this is when Jericho was also changing from his WWE mode into this lone wolf psychopath 
you know, wearing, you know, somewhere across between, you know, Bushi and the Crow with the makeup. Um, it, it, it's very much a different personality from Le Champion, you know, <laughs> it, it, which is great. I mean, it, it fits his character in New Japan. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't team with anybody. He doesn't do, you know, prelude tag matches. He just shows up and beats a shit out of somebody and then expects, you know, a, a big match out of it. Well, he got this one. And, uh, yeah, so the, the match itself, it was a, it was a great payoff. It told a, an excellent story. Um, of course it starts out with Jericho getting a complete patch of his hair ripped out of him <laughs> from a, yeah. uh, pile driver on the ramp in the Tokyo dome. And if you look later, you could see a, a very raw red spot on his scalp there, mm-hmm. uh, where his head, hair got pulled out. But there were just some other, you know, great touches there, including, you know, a shout out to to uh, to Hiromichi, a.k.a. Samson, a.k.a. Kodo Fuyuki, you know, who had died, you know, many years previous, uh, someone he knew from war. Um, and, uh, you know, but, you know, the, the, the build up to it, you know, Naito taking that DDT on the table. Oof. It's like, yeah, holy it shit. was gruesome. That's a spot and a half. Yeah. <laughs> That was a spot and a half. Uh, you know, N- Naito took it like a champ. And then, you know, Jer- but, you know, Jericho was the master of it. You know, he, 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 he engineered his own undoing by trying to use the, and of course, you know, we also had the Kendo six spots, mm-hmm. which were great. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> Naito just wailing on Jericho while he was, while he was in, you know, the lion tamer. And then, uh, yeah. So then Jericho tries to use the intercontinental belt. He misses, he drops it. Naito sees it. He just kind of looks at him like, okay, I hate you, you little shit. <laughs> you that took away my main event moment that I had earned way back at Wrestle Kingdom 8, and I'm simply stuck with you, but you're going to work for me now. So he, he, he slams Jericho with it and then immediately throws it out of the ring. Like, fuck you, I'm done with you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, De- Destino leads to a three. Yeah, Naito and the Intercontinental title is the greatest, like, anime arc I have probably seen in modern-day pro wrestling at this point. <laughs> I mean, this was just, and this was by far the best match of Wrestle Kingdom 13, which admittedly was a card that Chris and I shat on on paper, but uh, it turns out in practice it was actually really good. Tokyo Dome, man, just fucking does things. Uh... But yeah, really fun stuff. Also, this was the second year running in which he yelled at Chono on commentary. So, how <laughs> dare Yes. <laughs> Hopefully, he does it again this year. Fucker. <laughs> that would be, that would be amazing. Just keep, just keep the gag going at this point. If Chono's on commentary, why not? If Chono's on commentary, at one point Chono has to just get fed up with this and just lock his ass into an STF, you know? <laughs> that, that's one thing I love with New Japan. It's the interaction with the commentators. Like, they all yeah. seem to have somebody that they'll interact with constantly, like... Oh, yeah. Um, but no, I, yeah. I love this match. This is a great match. Yeah, this, give me give me your takes on it. This is a great way to, like, close out Jericho. Like, we've gone from full-on cruiserweight Jericho to this, like, twisted, fucking evil old man who just hates everyone. Yeah. And I mean, F- full get off my lawn, Jericho. Oh yeah. Like he, he's that guy, you know? Um, but like just the difference, like I said, with the Omega match, it's like full on WWE, Chris Jericho in new Japan. 
like literally one year later we have this like just this transformation like everything is different he's twisted he's evil he's he's just this fucking horrible person you know and um i just love this brawl i just think it's great like this is two people that fucking hate each other and just want to hurt each other and yeah. like i know it's for the iwgp ic title that doesn't matter like it plays into the finish and that's where it's important mm. but these two guys don't give a fuck about that belt and that especially plays into the naito story which is great and obviously that's hopefully all going to culminate in just a couple of days time from now um which i know jeff and chris are kind of wary of <laughs> yeah we're, 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 we're totally we're, we're totally ready for this <laughs> we're, we're, we're gonna be we're gonna be anxious as fuck during yeah. that jay white versus naito <laughs> <laughs> this is the crowning of jay white just beating everyone in one weekend um, but yeah, no, what like, hell this, it, <laughs> no, it has to be Naito's weekend. Listen, um, listen, I'll do. I'll make the devil's argument case that outside of Naito, Jay White would be the best option for that, just for the amount of shit that it would mm-hmm. bring upon everybody in the company. Yeah. But it's yeah. Naito two belts all the way at this point for me. Um, yeah. what, what did you guys think of Chris Charlton's call at the finish? Of ungovernable for sure, unbeatable perhaps. I, think it's um, like, I never watched finish. the English version of this match, so uh, I have okay. nothing yeah, to say. Char- Charlton, I think, went to this match so much more. And I think my biggest complaint of the two dome matches in the English commentary portion, honestly, was just Don Callis being Don Callis. So I'm kind yeah. of glad we're not getting yeah, that I, coming uh, for the yeah, match. Yeah, I, I, I made the mistake of re- yeah, so. yeah, I made the mistake of rewatching the 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 Omega match with the English commentary because I just kind of randomly hit the one I didn't think about which one I was picking. Right. And mm-hmm. It was like, oh Jesus Christ, the trigger! Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Jesus like, I, I, I'm, I'm okay with Kevin Kelly at this point because at least you know that's coming and that's part of his shtick. But I do think that. Having Charlton there full time now, having Rocky there for the most part as well, and even Gino, Gino Gambino, Gambino. Yeah, <laughs> Mr. Like, Juicy. Really, yeah, no, they've been a really good team together. I've really enjoyed how the commentators have mashed over the course of this year. Yeah. On G- the G- broadcast Gino's side. far superior than. Yeah, he, he's good. Yeah. He, he is good. But, um, and, and they need that, especially if they're going to be doing more of these uh, US USA shows coming up in 2020 now. So. But I mean that. If you just look at the evolution of of Jericho in New Japan, not I mean, like I said, this is a completely separate character from Le Champion, you know, because Le Champion in AEW is really kind of like just the the old man version of his heel character from WCW. When you look at it, you know, up to and including getting flummoxed by, you know, duck season, wabbit season turnarounds. <laughs> this yeah. is this is a this is like a completely new character for Jericho, mm-hmm. and he does it well. Now, I'm just not gonna say it's a hundred percent perfect because, frankly, the match with Kazuchika Okada at Dominion this year was one of the worst New Japan matches of the year. But, but even then, he managed to rescue it with that promo because even though the the crowd wasn't even into the post match segment until Tanahashi got involved. But then Jericho getting on the mic saying, hey, Tana, Bakahashi. You know, Baka, of course, being idiot in Japanese. 
<laughs> so, I mean, the the way he was able to parlay that, it was was masterful. Yeah. You know, and it, it just and even now that the build up to this match with Tanahashi on 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 January the 5th, if you watch the videos, he's still a psychopath, but he's not a screamy psychopath like he was with Okada. Now he's whispering psychopath, you know, sayonara, you know? Yeah. It, it's it, it's amazing. This character is actually fucking amazing. Yeah, it truly is. Um, I think that's kind of now that we've talked about all his matches, I think we're, we're kind of pretty much at an end. He's still writing the next chapter of his career in, in AEW as Le Champion, as the lads here are covering every week on Boom Goes the Dynamite on this very fine podcast network. Cheap but plug. Cheap plug. Um, but before we get to the, the cheap plugs all around the table, I think we'll we'll go around once more and maybe some some closing thoughts on the man of the moment, Chris Jericho, uh, before we sign off here. And uh, we'll go first to Chris. Uh, really, I can't say uh, emphasize this enough times without seeing Chris Jericho on my television screen in 2001, beating the shit out of some dude named Hugh Morris and then getting gored by Rhino on the SmackDown stage. Yes, that was my first episode of pro wrestling I've watched. Uh, I wouldn't have gotten into pro wrestling. So that, I think it's as simple as it comes when it comes to that. So very thankful for Le Champion being in our lives as we know it. Uh, Lee? I mean, what more can we say? We've, we've literally spent like an hour and a half or whatever talking about how great this guy is like from early on in his career right through to the current day this guy has been like consistent throughout nearly all of my wrestling viewing like i started watching wrestling in like 1991 chris jericho came into my life in like 1997 like you know and it's now 2019 you know the guy has been around seemingly forever and shows okay he shows a couple of signs slowing down but He's still fucking great, like, yeah. and long he's, he, he's he's one of those Premier League players that they've slowed down, they've lost a step or two, but they still have the brain for the sport. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a comparison that you said it and uh, Ryan Giggs. Ryan Giggs. There you go. Yeah, perfect. Giggs. <laughs> <laughs> Although we should probably, uh, Chris Jericho doesn't have a brother, does he? That we need to warn <laughs> in advance of no. any dalliance. At least, at least he get a Paddy Power gig over. Yeah, indeed. Um. Yeah, uh, Jeff. Uh, Chris Jericho in wrestling. Uh, wrestling would be poorer without Chris Jericho. Uh, Chris and I, Chris Damaseno and I have have gone on at, at some points. Uh, there, there there are some things about Chris Jericho we don't like. Um, his his choice in podcast guests being one of them. Indeed. Um. Because as much of a genius as the character of Chris Jericho is, Chris Irvine sometimes leaves a little bit to be desired. Mm. Uh, but that being said, I mean, again, this is a guy who had he hasn't like he's not playing the same character like he always has. Like, you know, some other wrestlers we could name and, you know, some wrestlers we've named in this uh, in this show. Like he's always he's always adapted. He's been able to adapt. Like he he adapted, you know, from his Lionheart character into the heel that we know and love that you're covering on W on, on Days of Thunder. You know, he he parlayed that. You know, he he evolved into the an absolute main event superstar in WWE. He he evolved into 
you know, first WWE veteran going into New Japan to to smack down these youngsters, which evolved, you know, which then further evolved. He's evolved into two different characters at, at one time now, the champion in, in AEW and and, you know, this lone psychopath in in New Japan. And that's it, just the story of Chris Jericho. He managed to, to evolve with the business and, and change with the times. And he, that's how he survived. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think to sum it up for, for me, he's just, like I said, uh, kind of similar to Lee. He's been around for almost the entire time I've been interested in professional wrestling. I started watching in 96. I think he was firmly in my life by 98. So he has just been a constant for me. Um, and his various guises and iterations have always fascinated me. And uh, kind of like Jeff had tipped on, the, his his constant ability to reinvent himself is something that everyone harps on. But it's still worth repeating that like this guy in 2019, 2019 is at the top of you know one of the, the the big upstart wrestling promotions we've seen in a generation and he isn't out of place there you know when you look at the other route they could have gone down with that first title match and put it on hangman it is like orders of magnitude better the way they went because he has proven himself week in and week out as one of the best things about aew as the lads here i'm sure are covering uh on on boom goes the dynamite that will back me up um, yeah yeah he is just consistently entertaining and he's at that stage in his career as well where he's taking young guys uh, into this inner circle like a Sammy Guevara, like a, uh, a proud and powerful that are kind of like they're there in terms of their in-ring skill, but they need that just little bit of something extra. And, and Jericho has always wanted a faction to build around himself. And he's just he has all his toys that he can play with now. And it's great hey, to this, see him. Is have this that like his first ever actual unit that he's ever had? He he That's pitched one unit he's leading, I believe now. Yeah. He pitched one seemingly, I don't know whether it was yourselves or, or or Meltzer was talking about this, that he had pitched a faction when he was the heel in around 2009 and he wanted Jack Swagger in the faction. Um, so this is kind of like a... Oh, this, so, this is, so this is Jericho's fault, why that man yeah. shot in <laughs> yeah. AEW. Indeed, oh, indeed. Um, but uh, um, yeah. He's he's just he he's one of my absolute favorites of all time. Um, a fascinating career. We've touched on eight matches here. There are just so many more. We could have gone on for another hour and a half, two hours about more matches yeah. of his. But I think we'll we'll put a pin in there for now. This might just end up being chapter one of a coverage of his uh his dazzling career. Um. Obviously, myself and Lee have our plugs of, of every two weeks, Days of Thunder on the Pro Wrestling Only Podcast Network at WCW Thunder Pod on Twitter. Uh, but I'll shoot over to the guys for uh, plugs on their podcasts um, and their Twitter handles. And we'll go to you first, Jeff. Uh, first of all, before I do the plugs, I just want to say that I actually pitched this uh, one to Dave specifically so we can get Chris on here because I knew Chris was an absolute mega Chris Jericho fan up to and including cosplaying as list of Jericho era Jericho um, at a con. <laughs> some, of so, best, some, of, some of my best fucking work at that. Thank you. It was. No, it was. <laughs> it was brilliant. So as cosplaying goes. So, no, it was absolutely brilliant. So that's I specifically asked for this one. So uh, I hope, uh, hope everyone. So I hope, I, I, Chris, I never told you this. I kind of dropped this on you when we I were mean, planning the episode. but You did, but I mean, it worked out pretty well. So, no, I'm thankful yeah. for it. So, um, in any event, uh, my wrestling Twitter handle is, of course, Strong Style Story without the E in style. My personal Twitter is at GDWessel, two S's, one L. 
And uh, over there, I mostly talk politics, uh, comics, and Doctor Who, and maybe some football, too. Maybe some wrestling occasionally, too. But I also have another other podcast called Busting Balls, uh, which you can find that at SoundCloud.com slash Busting-Balls. And, uh, yeah, we discussed the beautiful game there. So uh, I, I, I'm sure that uh, everybody here being a football fan are regular listeners of that show, right? Right? <laughs> yes, of course. So, so, uh, anyway, that, that's all I got. Uh, Chris. Uh, okay, so for me, um, more specifically, you can just go through either Twitter or Instagram. I'm going to be at Brazilian Fury. That's Brazilian with an S instead of a Z. Mostly just, the, as you mentioned, your wrestling content, daily life content, nerdly, nerdy video gaming content every so often as well. Uh, there is an idea sometime down in 2020 that I might be getting off the ground with uh, another close personal friend of mine, uh, Jordan in which we're planning to review video games, but video game soundtracks specifically have Ooh. our focus on that. We even have a, a potential name for the show called uh, Soundtracks on the Sticks is what we have as the potential name for that. So possibly come sometime early 2020, you might see an episode of that pop up. So oh. keep that in mind. Oh, damn. That. And that, that reminds me also to plug my other podcast, Link to the Cast, where around now our Game of the Year stuff should be dropping, which was, I think, uh, upwards of six and a half hours of myself uh, and my co-hosts, uh, Mark and Jack, along with the Barry lad from Twitter, shouting at each other about what were the best video games of this year. It, so, it, was, it was a good year for video games all around. It um, was. It was. It, I guess it, I should don't say the Goose game because my daughter won't. Yeah, don't say the Goose game because my daughter will lose her shit because she hates <laughs> that game for some reason. Goodness. I love uh, it. I think it's good. I, I, I will say this. C- considering the fact that uh, Chris Jericho did make the track to Japan to fight a lot of these guys that suddenly popped up and re- got Gotoku Yakuza games, I guess you could say that Jericho tr- truly has made himself the dragon of Dojima of professional <laughs> wrestling. Here we go. Uh, there is no finer statement to finish the show on. I want to thank Jeff and Chris for taking their time out over the Christmas season to chat to us here on Days of Thunder Pick Your Poison. It's been an absolute pleasure, gentlemen. Um, until our next episode of Pick Your Poison, ladies and gentlemen, we'll see you on our next regular, at least scheduled stop on Thunder Road. See you later. Personified, and I will drag you down and say.